0: This is the Baymaw Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we are going back to where it all started for The Chosen, reviewing what essentially became the pilot episode. The Shepherd was created as a short film for Dallas' church in 2017 and, as we know, took off like a wildfire and became what we know as The Chosen today. The Chosen series. Brent, this is a new thing for us. This is like a Merry Christmas from
1: Baymaw. Because we don't, we don't, I don't think we've ever
0: posted on the week of Christmas, right? No, this is, this is uh, unprecedented,
1: unprecedented in our five-year history. Absolutely. It is. Uh, but this is our Merry Christmas gift to you. I, I, I know that every year, the only thing I do on Christmas is something you love so much. I post our, on Facebook anyway, I post our Merry Christmas photograph of the, uh, of the Jewish Christian cats, Christmas cats. <laughs> Gosh but here we are bringing you something special and uh we and i like it there's a there's a ocd an obsessive compulsive part of my personality that doesn't want to miss anything we've done every episode of season one i don't want to miss the christmas pilot so what better time to do it than this and i guess that probably says something about what we may what we might do in the future brent who knows i mean i don't know i don't know what people are going to see
0: you know show yeah, up maybe. on their
1: feed but who knows
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, you never know. Um, yeah. So as we record this, I'll, we'll just we'll just open up the the curtain here a little bit. It is December first. Uh, after we record, I am going up to Spokane to see the Messengers, which is a new Christmas special made in twenty twenty one. I don't really know anything about it. It's I so a
1: full length feature film, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Well. It's an episode. They're calling it an episode, a special episode. Uh, But there's also like some musical performance or something. I don't know. I haven't watched any trailers or anything. I don't know anything about it. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the the old thing, the 2017 thing, the thing that Dallas created, didn't know that it was going to be anything more than whatever this was. So, um, yeah, I guess, (laughs) I don't know, spoilers for this uh, pilot episode from 2017. It's a short episode. It's only uh, 22 minutes or something like that. It uh, is basically, I mean, Dallas did write it and one of the other writers of the three who typically write was involved, um, Tyler. Uh, Ryan was not involved at that point, so I don't know what was going on there. But all of the crew is different than the the rest of the episode. So it's it's basically a standalone thing. And it was just like the the little Kickstarter thing that got everything else going.
1: Yeah, which makes sense. And and I'll try to be super gracious here, but I think you could totally tell um, <laughs> as I watched this episode. Uh, Dallas, if you're listening, I, I love you. Um, but uh, this one was, I, I felt like they probably didn't have the same kind of historical
0: team and resources around them. Well, that's what's interesting is because the, I was looking back because they, they talked about in one of the commentary tracks like Dallas does the dialogue and Ryan does the plot stuff and Tyler does the historical accuracy stuff and Tyler was one of the two writers on this. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, may, and and you know and we'll talk about this too when we get into the episode. Everything about Christmas
1: is so debated. Like we used to be so ignorant and then we became less ignorant, but then as we became less ignorant, we we now argue like academics everywhere argue about the details. Of the Christmas narrative. So maybe they just have a different opinion than than me and the school of, of thought that I come from. So, hey, who knows? But it did feel like we were working with less of the crew and just resource pool in general. Which yes. obviously makes sense. No fault. No fault there. This is a pilot episode.
0: The budget is substantially higher than you would expect for like a church Christmas special. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in most cases. But substantially less than what they're working with for the the regular episodes that have come out since then so um yeah it's you know lots of understandable things uh, but also some seeds of what we ended up seeing in in the rest of the show so lots to discover so i guess we'll do the spoiler horn and get into it if that's all right with you marty
1: absolutely it's not going to be long before i have some things to say
0: Okay, so uh, starts off says it's based on Luke two. Okay, sounds good. Uh, and we have a group of male shepherds wandering Not around. Too, we're too, we're too, we're too far into the episode, Brent. Oh, we got to go all the way back to the opening
1: screen where we have script on the screen, which already has some problems in it. So did, did you did you write down the script that's on the screen because we need to go all the way back? I well,
0: I thought about it, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that entirely, but but go ahead. Go ahead.
1: So the the episode actually starts with kind of, you know, like, what would you call that? That like uh, you get a screen that gives you some introductory text. What do you call that, Brent?
0: Yeah, an opening title. Yeah.
1: And so it says some things. And one of the things that it says, I think second paragraph in, um, it says, the priests would read the prophecies on a regular basis. (laughs) Repeatedly or something. Repeatedly. To which I was like, okay, the priests, the priest-priests, like is and this is significant and important, and I don't feel like they get this wrong in the rest of the Chosen, because they do a really good job of articulating the priest worldview and the Pharisee worldview, but the priest worldview is the Sadducees. They don't even believe in the prophets. <laughs> like, if you remember, the priests, the Sadducees, believe in Torah. They utilize the Psalms, but they don't use the rest of Tanakh. They don't view it as inspired so they're not clinging to the priesthood. Now, maybe earlier in the Hasmonean dynasty, like right after the story of Hanukkah, maybe maybe this priesthood as they're wrestling with Hellenism and this kind of Herodian movement, uh maybe that that maybe that priesthood was interested in more messianic worldviews, but the priesthood of the Christmas story <laughs> The priesthood of Ananus has no interest, no interest whatsoever in a Messiah, no interest whatsoever in the the prophecies. They're they're very anti-all those things. What you do have is a Pharisee worldview, very much antagonistic against the priesthood, and they are looking to those prophecies. So again, words. Simply nuances, maybe semantics, but really, really important semantics. Sure, because the priests would not have been reading the prophecies uh, repeatedly in the synagogues. Not, not the prophecies. Torah, sure. Psalms or temple liturgy, maybe, but, but, but not, uh, not priests uh, uttering messianic prophecies. No way.
0: And throughout the rest of the film, uh, the Pharisees are the characters in question. So, I'm assuming that was just a, just a miss misunderstanding or a a miss yeah well i'm gonna have some things to say about that
1: too brent because i'm not sure that's what they're doing either but either (laughs) way we've got problems but i'll I'll try to let you keep going but before we even get off that screen brent billings we got third paragraph talks about how they were waiting for a messiah who would save them and i probably in session three downplayed or 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 maybe overcorrected um, I think Christians have this idea that like Jews were just all oh, waiting for a Messiah and waiting for it. And we tried to correct that view. Like Judaism wasn't necessarily waiting for the Messiah in the sense that we think of it. There was maybe more fanatical uh, radicalization. There's probably more of like this fringe, desperate longing for There's probably more Messianic thought at that point of Jewish history than maybe any other point of Jewish history. But it's still not a dominant, I think we overplay that. And so I probably overcorrected in order to correct that. But I'm going to do it again here and say, make sure we're not overplaying this. Like, everybody was waiting for a Messiah. Well, you had these messianic overtones because it was very popular to long for deliverance from the oppression of the Romans. So, yeah, yeah. But we're, we probably overplay that in a supersessionist way in Christian thought. So, all right, Brent, I'm done with the opening uh, screen. <laughs> you can get into the episode.
0: Yeah. And my comment on the Pharisees was when they talk about people, they they mention Pharisees. That's true. Yes. Specifically versus they don't mention Sadducees. They don't mention priests. Right. They don't mention that's any, true. any yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. And considering the the shortness of this whole narrative, like I kind of understand why they maybe sure. didn't get into all those characters. Um, sure, but right, obviously, uh, they they are different, and understanding that it wasn't a, a monolith of of people who. We're at play here. Like, we do have those five groups. We have, you know, everything we talked about in session three. So,
1: yeah. And, and uh, don't worry, everybody. I got, I got better notes. People are like, this isn't a very Merry Christmas. This isn't a very <laughs> Merry Christmas, Marty. Quit being such a fuddy duddy. All right. I got better notes I, ahead
0: of me. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I do have some notes from my wife as well as we get towards the end of the Ooh, Okay. Good. So, good. Good. I like that. Um, uh, so, so then we do have the images of the male shepherds, which, as we've talked about before, I believe, um, very unlikely that uh, it would be adult men shepherding the sheep.
1: Okay, so let me let me say, oh, oh, okay. Very unlikely in a cultural sense. I can't remember what all we said in session three. It is possible, and, and we talked about it in session one or two or whatever too, when we talked about shepherds. But it is possible that in Bethlehem, because we do know that the priesthood Ananus, the priest, the booths of Ananus, the house of Ananus, Anus, we say. Uh, or Ananias, sometimes we translate that priesthood was running. Um, they were raising sheep for sacrifice, and they were doing that in Bethlehem. It's three miles away from Jerusalem, less than that. They it, it's a it's a very apropos place. So so and is it is it more possible that they had male shepherds overseeing the production and the the shepherding of their sacrifices, absolutely. So in the Christmas story, it's it's absolutely believable, maybe even plausible, but it's male shepherds. Do we make too much out of that? However, if they are male shepherds, they're probably not like, like uh, you know, like we literally have a shepherd with a hurt leg and kind of outcast. I mean, they're definitely still, they're not going to be the cream of the crop of society, um, but they they are probably going to be more male, more... I don't know what you'd want to say, culturally acceptable than your typical shepherd. But I I digress.
0: Yeah, yeah. We do have um, one of the shepherds uh, who we find out later is named Simon. He seems to have a broken foot, maybe Um, his foot is kind of wrapped up as if it's a cast, but uh, he also is not walking very well. He's got a crutch like his legs do seem to work to some extent, I'm guessing the, I mean, this is completely conjecture, but it seems like the kind of thing where maybe he broke his foot and it wasn't cared for properly. And there's like an infection or whatever. And this has been going on for a long time and he's just kind to learn to live with it. Um, so I, I don't know. We don't know the, the details of that situation, but, um, obviously he's going to be a, a major factor here. Um we do have the the sign that reads Bethlehem in a very nicely scripted font. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's good to know we're in Bethlehem, I guess. Yeah. Um, so then we, then we have a man uh, reading in a synagogue and he's reading from Micah. And I will say, you know, they had him in the center of the room and the people were around him. So Kudos on that, right?
1: You know, the first time I saw this episode, I didn't, I had a hard time. It almost felt like they were in a side room, and my brain had us in Jerusalem because of the fact that they were checking lambs outside what ends up being kind of the synagogue. But once I realized we were in Bethlehem, I must have totally missed the sign the first time around. Uh, I went, okay, so that is a synagogue. And I saw the opening scene. I just saw it more thoroughly and I went oh oh no that is it that is a good representation of a synagogue probably even a good size once I kind of like reoriented where I was at I thought yeah they did a good job with that now I still think they're portraying the guy reading it feels to me they're trying to portray him as a priest so uh he's not in the pharisee garb they're going to use later in uh the um series but uh anyway Yes. The synagogue and the setup there. uh,
0: I I really like that the way they were reading. um, Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. So, yeah, then we do have the the man who's inspecting the sheep. And I think this guy is implied to be a Pharisee um, later in the episode. Well, it's definitely a mix. Um, yeah. I feel like he's I feel like he's dressed more like the Pharisee
1: later in the series, but they would not be the ones checking the sheep at all. Historically, uh, that's going right. to be the job for the priesthood. So they've mixed those one way or another. They're either that's a weirdly dressed priest functioning in Bethlehem, which that wouldn't be hard to believe, or it's a Pharisee. Now, what he does say, and you haven't gotten here yet, so I'm racing ahead of you, Brent. But he does say this: Messiah hasn't come. Because this is the reason Messiah hasn't come, because of the stains, it's right. you sinners, and that's a that's not necessarily a priestly worldview. That is very deliberately a Pharisee. So I saw him as a Pharisee, both in his dress, um, and and the theology that he's living in and living out of. But if that's the case, he wouldn't be the one uh, checking that. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's not even fair. As I say that out loud, I'm like, maybe, maybe you would if you were in Bethlehem. Would you take it to the local Pharisee to get his opinion on whether or not the priests are
0: going to accept it?
1: Eh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, Marty, maybe you're being too hard. All right.
0: Yeah, and and it's a fairly short scene. Like we're not seeing the full mechanics of the operation and how yep. we've talked about how this process works, you know, in yep. a Jerusalem context. So, you know, there's just a lot of assumptions that we would have to make and and it's hard to say exactly what's going on, yeah. but yeah. So the first shepherd comes in, and his sheep is declared spotless and fine. And then Simon comes up with his, and <laughs> uh, like the guy's inspecting it. it's like, oh, there is this entire like his uh, like under under one of its legs is like completely bloodied. It's like, okay, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I don't know what Simon was thinking again, lots and lots of assumptions because this is such a short film, right? Like there's, there's, you know, yep. but whatever, obviously. And, and then that whole conversation about uh, like, Oh, this is, this is the problem. This is why Messiah isn't here. Meanwhile, Simon's like trying to ask, he's like, Hey, I've got some questions. I've been like studying Torah as much as I can. And, and I just, uh, I'm wondering about this and, and uh, he, you know, he's barely paying attention to him and then, you know, shushes him off. Um, the, the whole thing. Yeah. It's just uh, every, everybody's so cruel to him. Basically the, the Pharisee or whoever he is, is cruel. The other shepherds are like, yeah, uh, this is not a good situation. You're just going to have to keep up and we're not going to, we're not going to baby you at all. And he, he falls, he hurts his arm. Like The whole thing's a mess.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I did think that one line that I already referenced was just one of my favorite lines of the episode, Um, just because it was historically... It just did such a great job of articulating the religious, cultural world that they're dealing with and living in. The whole idea that Messiah hasn't come. You wonder why the Messiah hasn't
0: come? People like you keeping him away with your stains. If you come back here without a perfect lamb... I will banish you all from the marketplace. <laughs> now, come,
1: come. But just such a—I mean, that was just so. I thought that was—I enjoyed it just from a historical, theological content perspective. I one of my favorite lines.
0: And then continuing on that, Simon, at this point, you know, as he's looking at his arm, uh, he hears the man reading in the synagogue and wanders in to to hear the the words and. One of the other people in the synagogue notices the blood dripping from his arm all over the floor and uh and kicks him out and wipes it up and and if you pay attention to the reading, they're they're talking about um blood at at that moment as this is all happening as he's wiping up the blood.
1: Yeah, I I did think their uh placement of prophecy kind of as a backdrop uh for the episode. Um I love the fact that they're reading at the first time. So he does two readings, one from Isaiah and one from Uh, The Micah, and the Micah one obviously about Bethlehem, which once I now realized the second time around we were in Bethlehem in this part of the episode, I went, oh, what a brilliant – if there's anybody that is going to be reading that prophecy with messianic overtones, like if I am going to give – like if I am going to try to see this with a good eye and and think they nailed it here, boy, if there's anybody that is going to read Micah with any sense of like messianic, there's coming a king from Bethlehem. And not only do we know that in the Herod story, we know that when Herod asks, "Where is the Messiah going to be from?", that's at least one of the passages that the prop that that his experts his his scribes and people of the law bring to him is the Bethlehem prophecy. But I thought, man, how much more the people of Bethlehem going to cling to that prophecy in that synagogue? I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. So then Simon is back outside. He's been kicked out of the synagogue and he finds Joseph and Mary there, which I don't believe they're ever actually named in the episode. Um, but, but clearly as, as the, uh, or as the film goes on, we'll, we'll discover that that's who they are. Uh, they're asking for directions to a well. And, um, he's like, well, it's over there, but, but here, and he takes his own water and gives it to Mary. And then they make the, the Nazareth joke, (laughs) Yes, where they're coming from so i think i'm trying to remember i i know i think it was a couple of times in season one at least and i'm pretty sure there's it shows up in season two as well yep um so this is just like you know the recurring joke obviously
1: and obviously i don't know if i feel like it's it doesn't bother me i don't know if it's even overdone like i feel like they're taking the opportunity to be like yeah nazareth that
0: that group of people (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of feeling like maybe it's overdone, but I don't know. I could just be, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) So then, uh, so then Isaiah 35 is being read at this point and it's kind of like a voiceover for Simon wandering and he's got his lamb on a leash. And I mean, it's definitely not, I don't quite understand why he's carrying the one by himself, whereas all the others are with the other shepherds. So I'm a little unclear on, on what's going on there, but this lamb is, you know, not, not exactly, uh, following Simon's voice as we would typically think of the sheep doing. Yep. So then the other shepherds are sitting around their fire. They've long since made it to wherever they were going for the night. They're making jokes about Pharisees being cheap, uh, which I felt a little uncomfortable about, um, And they're talking about like one guy's joking like, oh, your food's not very good. And he's like, well, it's my grandma's recipe. And he's like, well, clearly that's why your grandpa divorced her. It's like, oh, man. okay these guys. And then uh, and then they're talking about the woman that they saw at the well earlier and how pretty she was. And then Simon comes up and he's like, "Uh, is there any dinner left for me? And they're like, yeah, but we don't want you over here with us. So go over there. And they're talking about Romans taking sheep and taking whatever they want and all this stuff. And it's just like, man, these shepherds are not, uh, not impressive character.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did appreciate, uh, I, I do just, and I don't know if it's Dallas, uh, which writer is, you said that the three writers have like kind of different, um, Like kind of almost roles that they play
0: in the writing and development. I I do love. Only two of them were on this episode, though. The guy who is the plot guy. Oh sure, uh, right. Was was apparently not on this one.
1: Yeah, I. I, If it's Dallas who's in charge of the character development, I really enjoy how they develop the characters all throughout the series. But even this one, where I was like, like sometimes like jerked out in the historical nerdiness, like I was just like, I appreciate appreciate how they're building this character how they're making it relevant how there's like a whole subtext and an undertone or overtone to the plot line that really does fit I, I just appreciated that so i appreciate what they're doing with the shepherds and his role within the shepherds and it's cool
0: how the characters are are written i think is great but uh like just you know how crude they're being with all of their you know it's just like ugh. Yeah. Not, <laughs> I don't want to be friends with those guys, you know? Yeah. Uh which, you know, I think I think accomplishes um what they're trying to do there. Yep. Um so then Simon goes off and he finds some water, uh, starts washing off his arm, and then you have these gusts of wind that extinguish all of the lights and their fire and everything, and then this bright light appears. <laughs> And there's celestial music and these whispering, unintelligible voices. And then all of a sudden it's dark again. And yeah, apparently they had their encounter with the angels. Um,
1: what was your take on that, Brent? How'd you feel about that?
0: Uh, I felt like it was so cheesy. Oh no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know because like, how do you, I feel like this is probably one of the most difficult things for an actor to do is like, okay, okay pretend that you're seeing something that you've never seen before yep and it's so overwhelmingly brilliant and whatever and it's like how how do you actually do that so i don't know like i think it's a very very difficult thing to do i it didn't feel right but i don't know what was wrong with it necessarily and obviously they're working with a very limited budget as far like there's nothing shown clearly because they, they don't have like a huge VFX budget and what do you even make an angel look like that's right. a whole different <laughs> conversation and challenge so I understand all the challenges and the limitations that they're working with and I don't think they I can't tell you what they did wrong it was just like eh, I don't I don't know it was
1: definitely different um and that was kind of almost what he what intrigued me I almost appreciated about it because like man how do you do this scene well and they just had a different take on it like like you said like the audio is totally different there's it was kind of like this weird mix of and they a, didn't have like the voice over music with the, yeah right 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 they didn't they didn't read the luke 2 text right which i almost appreciated that part of it um i mean if i compare it to like say one of my favorite like i think i've talked about this in other parts of our teaching somewhere in another session. But my favorite Christmas movie is The Nativity Story. We can even link that in the show notes if you want to. Um, we, my family watches that every single year for Christmas. I, I love the historical um, rootedness of that film. I love I love how they've done that too. Um, it reminds me a lot of some of the things I love about The Chosen in general. But when I think about their angel, the, the angel scenes in that movie too, I was like, okay, well, well, this is definitely a different take. And there are parts that I even think are uh, less cheesy, but it was hard to make it fit. It's it, but like you said, strapped in limitations on a pilot episode.
0: And I, I think I do. I mean, from a from an outsider's perspective, it's like, oh, somebody like, like if I was off at a distance seeing something that was happening, I wouldn't necessarily hear the voices. It was just like, oh, something's happening clearly over there. But I, so I kind of like the like third party perspective, and then we see like what the reaction was. Um, and then we get more voiceover as they, as they go. Um, there's, uh, like they all start running after, after this encounter, uh, including Simon, he just, uh, I don't know. Uh, he just starts running basically. And uh, initially he goes with his crutch, but, but then ditches it after a little while, and then it's cut in with scenes of Mary giving birth.
1: Now, did you notice the context of Mary giving birth, like uh, the kind of surroundings she's in? Did you happen to notice that?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Because I thought it, I thought it represented the argument well. It was at least in my mind what I'm seeing in the background was somewhat historically informed. I can't remember what all we said in our past uh, sessions, Brent. I'm I'm really big on like when I take people to Israel, I'll take them to a cave, like a, a stable a shepherd's cave where shepherds would have watched sheep in a cave. And, and just because um, this is one of those instances of what I was talking about earlier in this episode where there's such historical debate. Cause we used to just have like these nonsensical nativity scenes in like a wooden barn with like golden straw and a wooden manger. And, and we had to like realize like, well, that's totally historically illegitimate. So then we went to like a shepherd's cave but then other scholastic opinion and voices came in and was like, okay, but Bethlehem wouldn't have been shepherd's caves. It would have actually been the bottom floor of a house, which is a possibility. Um, and it seems to be that's the take that they're taking. That seems to be the backdrop to me. It's not It's not a house. It's not a wooden barn. It seems to be the bottom floor of somebody's residence, which is uh, one of the places you haven't been, Brent, is to the ruins of Hatsor. Um and maybe in the future, I'll get to take you to hot And one of the ruins there is one of these houses, one of these dwelling places where the stable is in the bottom and they kind of have a diagram of what you're looking at. And that's very possible. It's very possible. The one thing that I hate is when people are like, Mary wasn't alone in a dirty old stable. She was she was at somebody's house and they're like, she was surrounded. I even heard a, a, blog, a blogger last year, I, I read his blog where he was talking about she was surrounded by people and I, I don't buy that if you're in the bottom of somebody's house where you keep the cows you're not surrounded by loving family taking care of you as you give birth to, <laughs> like even if you're in the bottom floor of a house that's where they keep it's still where the manure covered animal stalls are it you don't have the pregnant woman as a guest in the stable downstairs. So yes, maybe the voices of, uh, you know, community and relationship and feasting are above her, but this still is not a picture of like, she's surrounded by loving people, giving her hugs as she gives birth to the Messiah. She is pushed to the fringes, given the worst area of the house and told good luck Hope you have a healthy pregnancy. Don't stop by for dinner. Like, even if she is downstairs. So anyway, I have now ranted. That's my Christmas rant. <laughs> um, but I did not mind what I saw there because it represented one of, one of the possible historical settings of what this looked like. And she wasn't surrounded by people. She's, if they are on the bottom floor of a house, there's nobody with them. There's nobody bringing them water. And here are these stinky, dirty shepherds show up. That part of the setting, I was like, I'm good with this. I like it.
0: Yeah, it, it was very good. And if anything, maybe the environment was a little bit too sanitized. You know, I could have done with a little bit dirtier, a little bit darker. Sure. Um, but overall, it, it was a good setting. And what I think impressed me more, um, like this Isaiah 7 voiceover is happening. And mm. then, yep. And then Jesus appears and Joseph holds him up. And it's this bloody, like. Yes dirty baby appropriately ate like it's probably not fresh out of the womb at that moment i'm sure they didn't actually film the actual birth process but like this wasn't a six-month-old baby you know which is typically what you see in those sorts of scenes so i don't know how they pulled that off um i don't know if there's a some sort of like legal reason why you can't do that in normal hollywood settings i don't know but i was very impressed by the reality of the actual baby that they had sure and uh and and that was maggie's comment too she's like man yeah that that was like for her that was just like that Mm. is so much more real than almost every other birth process that's portrayed in film so huge kudos from my wife on on that aspect of it love it so the shepherds all run in at this point, And at first, Joseph is like, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? Because he doesn't know any of these guys. Um, <laughs> they're all just running in and it, clearly an appropriate response for a father. Um, but then Simon comes in and everyone's like, oh, okay, we know this guy. Um, he was kind to us, whatever. And uh, so Joseph picks up Jesus and, and the shepherds are reaching out. They want to hold him. Uh, But he looks at Simon and the hands Jesus to Simon and the shepherd's like, we got to tell everybody about this. And they leave. And then Mary notices Simon's arm at that point and they get him bandaged up. So it's like, this is so good. Um, returning returning the, the favor of his kindness with the water earlier. And then Simon asked for Jesus's name. And then he's like, okay, now I got to go tell everybody what's going on too.
1: Yeah, I, I, that was another part of the whole um, episode that I just kind of, I, I, I enjoyed the way that they put that together. Here you have a whole group of outcasts, shepherds that are outcasts. And obviously, like you were saying, far from perfect, little crude, probably exactly what we'd expect for a, a, a crew like that, whatever their life stories are that'd be a setting. You could imagine that here's this lame shepherd, um, or, or, you know, this, this, uh, this shepherd that is obviously struggling on so many levels. Here's Mary and Joseph going through their ordeal. And just kind of like this, <laughs> this group of mumsers, this group of, uh, I just like the, the meaning that, that that's, that whole scene had some meaning to it. And, and I can't remember where you cut off and, and, in the scene that you were describing, but they, you know, this people must know we've got to go tell people and they do, they run out to the, you know, you can't hear the, the, the dialogue, the the music is playing, but, but people, but people won't like, we got to go tell everybody, but nobody's going to listen. And, and, and they go to tell people and people just aren't really listening, which historically is how I see the story. Like nobody's believing this crazy story from these crazy shepherds. That nobody's going to listen to anyway.
0: They even try to tell a Roman soldier and it's like the Isaiah nine voiceover about like, right. You know, how, how his kingdom will expand and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know if the Roman soldier is the best guy to be telling this message to, but okay, whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yep. Yep. Uh, And one of my favorite parts that I make in my Advent sermons, when I get the chance to preach during Advent is, you know, the Messiah came, kingdom came right under people's noses. And, and a whole group of mumsers, outsiders, non-whatever you want to call it, not your typical people, see see it, but the general populace misses it. And I just think that's the one of the invitations of Advent for us is to not miss the Christ child this year or any year. Because generally speaking, I feel like most of us the temptation the danger is that we do we just miss the advent story we miss the real Christmas narrative that that Jesus is trying to break into our lives um our opportunity to trust the story in a christian in a Christmas context, so
0: anyway, I like that part of the scene so then we have um we have you know a little bit of redemption going on with the the shepherd's uh you know the one of the the guy who is the most prominent of the other shepherds um turns and hugs Simon and and they seem to like i don't know i guess he gets it now or he i don't know i i'm a little unclear on what the long term status of their uh relationship will be if it was just like this you know uh what's what's the term like the uh like the church camp high where it's like, oh, we just, we just had our little experience with the angels, and so we're kind of feeling good. But then tomorrow, is he going to go back to being mean to Simon? I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll just assume everything's fine now, I guess. I don't know. Well, we'll have a good eye. We'll have a good eye with that one. But the Pharisee, he does not have a good eye. He comes running out, and he's like, <laughs> Simon, I told you not to come back here until blah, blah, blah. Have you, found, have you found your spotless lamb for a sacrifice? And then that's the end of the episode. Yeah, with that look of almost a grin, which I feel like
1: the grin kind of communicates like he gets it, which that was – if I had a cheesy moment of the episode, I was like, I'm not a fan of the last line.
0: Um, Yeah, it was a little cheesy. I do appreciate that they didn't like come out and say, oh, yeah, I found him. His name's Jesus. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, he did. He did stop just
1: short. Yep. And he did stop just short. Maybe he didn't like, no, no. Maybe he was. Maybe the smile was just a smile of like, well, no. But I've had my, I've had my experience. So, okay, I'll go hit the road. But, jokes on you. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's, that, that. was it. That was our Christmas episode, Brent.
0: That's it. Do you have like a, a an adventy sort of uh, benediction you want to give here to close us out? Uh,
1: no, just. Uh, <laughs> no what if i just say
0: no what? all right everyone i guess a, go in a peace a merry christmas
1: and a happy new year uh whatever whatever the appropriate thing is to say well we have one more episode
0: before the new year so there we go just a merry christmas no happy new year yet that's it that's all you get
1: that's all you get
0: okay well that'll do it for our unprecedented what? week of christmas episode on the Bema podcast um yeah We're we're excited about the coming year. We've got, uh, I think we've already talked about this. Verse by verse through the gospel of John. It's coming. Coming quick. Getting excited about it. So if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. You can find more details about the show at com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. And Merry Christmas.